Hi, this is Gordon Russell, host of The Neutral Ground, the New Orleans Advocate's weekly podcast on the stories behind some of the stories that are making waves in South Louisiana this week. Thanks to our sponsors, Gardner Realtors, and thank you for joining us. Hi, and thanks for listening to today's edition of The Neutral Ground. Uh, we're going to change things up a little bit here. Instead of doing three, uh, three episodes or three topics, we're just going to have one. Uh, it's just going to be uh, Matt Sledge, our criminal justice reporter, and I talking about the Supreme Court's uh, landmark or sort of bombshell decision yesterday to uh, reconsider Louisiana and Oregon's uh, tradition of allowing for non-unanimous jury verdicts, uh, something that the court upheld in 1972 in the Apodaca versus Oregon case and also in the Johnson versus Louisiana case. Um, first of all, Matt, thanks for thanks for taking a few minutes to talk to me today. Right on, Gordon. Thanks for having me. All right. So, so what did what did the court say it was going to do, and when are we going to hear this? It, it didn't say much. You know, it's just a very kind of short uh, announcement that we're going to take up a case from Louisiana, actually from New Orleans, where a man was convicted of murder by a non-unanimous jury. But it is a big deal whenever the Supreme Court of the U.S. decides even to hear a case. We can expect a lot of briefing uh, from both sides, a lot of argumentation, and then eventually an oral uh, hearing at the Supreme Court. So, you know, it's only a, a very slim, narrow, small percentage of cases that even get a hearing. At the Supreme is it like, well, I don't remember, 6,000 cases or something? Yeah, I know there's a, it's like a, you have a 1% chance maybe of getting it. People heard maybe less. Yeah, I mean it's it's infinitesimally small, and yeah. you know I think the longest of long shots. Yeah, I mean I think it, it, it you know prosecutors usually say take it to the Supreme Court as a, as kind of a joke, knowing that it'll be helpless up there. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, um, and so the timing on this, we're likely to have oral arguments this fall, like October, November. Yeah, that that's what the uh, the attorney for this New Orleans man, uh, Evangelista Ramos, believes. And then a uh, decision probably sometime next year. So as with everything in the court system, this was this is going to take a while. We're, we're, there's going to be months and months uh, where we don't have an answer as to how the court will rule. And w- let's talk a little bit about what the uh, there's different ways this law has been attacked. Um, and this petition, I, I've, I've read it. I think you've read it. I mean, it sort of relies mostly on an argument uh, it's sort of attacking the apodaca decision of 1972 that was a very unusual decision from the court but what's the basic thrust of this argument um so they're uh arguing uh the the attorneys for this man ramos are arguing uh that the way louisiana and oregon allow split juries to convict people uh runs afoul of the sixth amendment to the u.s constitution which says everybody uh, has the right to a, a fair and impartial jury. The, the hitch there is that the way the, the Supreme Court has interpreted that so far uh, is to say, well, that, you know, right, uh, you know, when we're specifically when we're talking about jury unanimity only applies to federal trials, not to state trials. Right. And it was a it's a hard to explain, but it's sort of an odd it was a characterized sometimes as a 5-4 decision because it was in a way that you need five justices to agree to something, the Apodaca decision, that is. But but it was really kind of a 4-4-1 decision where you had four judges who said it doesn't, you don't really have to, 
the Constitution doesn't require jury unanimity in any court. And then you had four justices saying it's required in every court. And then you had the sort of tie-breaking vote, which was Justice Powell saying that it, it's required in federal court, but not necessarily state court. And that's kind of really what's under attack now, right, is this idea that this, the, well, let's talk about this concept of incorporation. What does that mean? So, um, you know, the, the U.S. Constitution grants us all of these uh, beautiful rights, uh, but for a long time there was uh, debate as to whether rights like freedom of speech um, protected you against only the federal government or also intrusions from the state government. And in this kind of piecemeal fashion over the decades, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has applied more and more of them to state and, and local governments. And it's been a process uh, that they call, they dub incorporation. And uh, the Sixth Amendment is, you know, one of the uh, last holdouts here. Uh, they, the U.S. Supreme Court has never incorporated uh, this right to a unanimous jury uh, in kind of more serious cases uh, to the states. So in one of the arguments in the, the, the lawyer, the lead lawyer in this case, Ben Cohen from the Promise of Justice Initiative is, is arguing that this is, uh, that is sort of a partial incorporation of the Sixth Amendment in the Apodaca case. And that's, I guess, uh, sort of unusual either. Usually, I guess, these amendments are either fully incorporated or not at all. Yeah, I, I guess he... He, he thinks that the court kind of made a hash of things back in, in 1972 and, and wants to see them uh, finish the job, I, I suppose. <laughs> um, and as far as where things are going, I was just going to relay. I mean, I spoke to this guy, uh, Eugene Volup, yesterday, who's, a, who's kind of a well-known blogger and constitutional law scholar and a professor at UCLA. And he had a couple interesting, he's followed this issue very closely because he's, he's been a long time advocate for unanimous jury verdicts. And his view, um, which I think is shared by, by others or, or many others, is that the court is probably going to come down on the side of, of unanimous verdicts being required, even though the court doesn't like to generally go against its prior decisions. But he's, his argument is, I mean, I don't remember how many times that we say this has been brought up to the court 25 times maybe in the last uh, several decades, and the court's never agreed to hear it. And he's like, why would they agree to hear it if they weren't going to reconsider it, essentially? Right. I mean, if you're serving a life sentence in Angola or in whatever prison they have in, in, in Oregon, although they don't allow non-unanimous jury verdicts to send people to prison for life, um, if you're serving a long prison term and you were convicted by a non-unanimous jury, you've got plenty of time to file these appeals. So I think prisoners have done it time and time again, and the, the court has swatted them away. Um, and, and finally, for some reason, uh, this week things are changing. And, uh, you know, I think Eugene Golak was probably on to something there when he pointed to the changing composition of the court. Each one of those initial individual justices has enormous power. We've had, uh, you know, kind of two new justices uh, cycle onto the court uh, over the last uh, few years. So it's logical to think that maybe they are looking at this issue in a, in a different way, e even though both of them have replaced, uh, you know, conservative justices mm -hmm. on the court too. They may might see the Sixth Amendment in a different way. 
And it's an interesting thing. I mean, we might regard this as a liberal versus conservative issue, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it falls on that spectrum. But the the question of jury unanimity. But of course, the two new justices are quite conservative. But I gather, um, and again, I'm not a constitutional law scholar myself, but that that this concept of incorporation is uh, maybe something that, that the sort of federal society type judges like Gorsuch and Kavanaugh may be friendlier to, to the concept of full incorporation. Does that, that sound right? Don't know off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> right. It's I mean, sort, sort of outside both of our uh, yeah, comfort I mean, zones. I do think there's always some suspicion about, you know, uh, among the conservative justices uh, about the court telling the states uh, what to do. I, I mean, I think they're more likely, uh, or, or say they're more likely uh, to give states leeway uh, under our federalist system. But, uh, you know, I, I do think at the same time, the Sixth Amendment and juries are such unanimous, such bedrock parts of, right. our, of our legal system. You know, this, this concept of a jury goes way back uh, to old English law, right? Um, uh, that you know, even kind of, it can appeal to even conservatives, right? This is kind of in the more of the originalist idea, like this is so bedrock that you know the mistake we made was to allow the states to kind of diverge from these sort of bedrock universal rights. I think is I think that's the that's the conservative argument here, right? Yeah, and and it sounds like I mean again, Volokh was theorizing that he thinks maybe the change is is that you've got these two new justices who, who might feel strongly about that. I mean, another interesting thing that some people noted to us yesterday was that the court had a recent uh, decision in an Indiana case, um, which is called, uh, it was called Tim's versus Indiana. And this is a case about, um, that implicated the Eighth Amendment and excessive fines and so forth. And uh, yeah, it was an interesting case, uh, Mr. Tim's, I think he had, some kind of a drug arrest, and uh, he was driving a fancy car at the time, if I remember right. It's that's like right. a, a yeah. Land Rover that's <laughs> worth like 50 Gs. And uh, the maximum fine uh, for whatever arrest he had was maybe a, a, a couple thousand dollars or something. But the state went ahead and, and took the, uh, the fancy car, and his lawyer said, that's, that's crazy. Uh, you know, how can you take his vehicle that's worth many multiples of, of the top five uh, without a real kind of proper showing that he's, uh, you know, convicted, committed some serious crime. And, and then the, the court eventually sided with Mr. Timms. Yeah. And, and an interesting part of the decision, which was written by Justice Ginsburg, it, there's a line in the decision that says, if a Bill of Rights protection is incorporated, there is no daylight between the federal and state conduct it prohibits or requires which is in direct contradiction to the Apodaca ruling. And then he's got a footnote here that says, the sole exception is our holding, our meaning the Supreme Court, that the Sixth Amendment requires jury unanimity in federal but not state criminal proceedings, which some people read that footnote as kind of a a good sign for this, uh, for Mr. Ramos in terms of the court taking this up again. In other words, the court seems here to be uh, disparaging the Apodaca ruling. Yeah, I think it's a kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, interested attorneys out yeah. there, this sole freaky <laughs> exception is should maybe not be an exception for much longer. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about the possible um, 
outcomes here. I mean, obviously, we don't know how the court's going to rule. Um, and if they if they uphold the, the law, nothing changes. But uh, if, they, if they rule that Louisiana has to have unanimous verdicts, what, 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 what may we see then? There's a, I think there's a range of possibilities, and uh, we will probably see them playing out over over the course of years. Uh, you know, I, I guess let me interrupt you, Matt. Yeah. So we should, uh, you know, we should uh, underscore the fact that Louisiana has already voted to get rid of right. of this law, but it's the way that it's structured. There's sort of a pipeline of cases still, uh, probably a couple of years worth of a pipeline. Yeah, cases. it takes it takes a long time for. Uh, Four serious cases uh, that require twelve jurors to get to trial. Um, you know, here in New Orleans, I I mostly cover murder and rape trials, and I think the first cases where uh, you know the cases where unanimity will be required uh, will only start coming uh, onto the trial dockets probably in another two or three years uh, because that's just how long it takes cases. Uh, to get to trial and the uh, constitutional amendment to the state constitution only applies uh, for crimes committed January 1st. Or, right, or so afterwards. really just, just took effect. In other words, people who are getting arrested now for crimes may be tried under this uh, new iteration of the law, but there's still a, a, there's hundreds and maybe, maybe even a couple thousand cases that are in the pipeline statewide that, that won't be. Which I think kind of gets at one of the conundrums that Ramos's attorneys are, are talking about. There, there are now, there's now this bifurcated system of, of justice, and it's going to be a bit trickier to convict people of crimes, just depending on whether they were committed on December 31st, 2018, or January 1st, uh, 2019. And Ramos's attorneys are saying, well, if it's a constitutional right, it's a constitutional right. Right. And then you have a, potentially another bifurcation where they're really the court is only being asked to look at so far cases that are in the pipeline and or uh, not through to final appeal yet, but they're not being asked to to sort of invalidate verdicts from cases that are already closed. Correct. Yeah, this is where things get a little bit technical. So Mr. Ramos was convicted of second degree murder back in 2016 on a ten. 10 to 2 uh, vote uh, for conviction, he's still appealing that uh, that conviction. And in Louisiana, until all of your initial uh, called direct appeals are exhausted, all the way up to the Supreme Court, then your conviction is not yet final. Um, and we don't know exactly how many convictions are out there kind of simmering in this non-final right, this state, limbo state yeah. this limbo state. Uh, I think it's, it's safe to say it's probably, uh, hundreds or, or, or more people who are in a condition like Mr. Ramos's, uh, his attorneys say they're only asking the Supreme court to look at non-final convictions. So people whose convictions are still on appeal. Um, the state of Louisiana has raised the prospect. Well, if you find for Mr. Ramos, uh, Supreme Court, that could open the door to total chaos where final convictions are suddenly being questioned too, you know, including hundreds of people, uh, serving life sentences at Angola right. for rape and murder. All these district courts are going to have to consider what to do with that. And, and how are they going to retry these cases? Yeah, worst from... case scenario, we're, we're trying to decide whether to retry cases from, from 30 or 40 years ago where maybe all the witnesses are dead. Right, right. <laughs> Which would be a it would be a colossal 
legal nightmare, I, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is an argument, I think, if you're a defendant, that if, if the Supreme Court says something is unconstitutional today, well, wasn't it unconstitutional 20 years ago? But as a state could easily counter, as as Mr. Bullock said, well, the, the state would counter, well, look, Supreme Court, you told us in 1972 this was fine, so yep. we just did what you said. Right. And now you're now you're going to make us, you know, you're going to send us in. He said the Supreme Court really doesn't like to do things. I mean, of course, they, they don't like to do things that that send the system into chaos. Um, they also don't like to reverse themselves, which this would be a reversal. Um, there's that principle, my Latin sucks, but it's stare decisis or whatever, <laughs> which means, you know, leaving things alone that have already been decided. Uh-huh. And they, uh, so that would be a big deal for them to change. But of course, this was a very closely decided case. And so... Uh, maybe that gives them a little more wiggle room to, to reverse themselves. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not a Catholic scholar, but <laughs> it, it always kind of reminds me of that the doctrine of papal infallibility. And, yeah. You know, as as we all know, subsequent popes kind of sometimes change their minds about what, what earlier popes were saying. And it, it seems like it's it's always got to be a little awkward for them to say, well, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> infallible at the time. Right, infallible during their lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, in terms of how many people this could affect, we, you know, we don't expect it, if it, if there is a ruling at this point, we don't expect it to affect everybody who was ever convicted non-unanimously, but just to give a sense of how big that might be, I mean, we did a little bit of analysis in today's story, but there's 33,000 roughly inmates in Louisiana prisons right now. Many, probably most of them did not go to trial at all and took plea deals, but, um, so in our analysis that we did for the paper last year, found that about 40% of people who are tried uh, are convicted not non-unanimously. So the total universe of people who this could affect, if it were applied retroactively, would be probably in the thousands, but not in the tens of thousands. Um, but that, again, seems like a fairly remote possibility at this point. Yeah, and on the... It, I do think it's a, a remote possibility. I mean, it, interestingly, the state says kind of raises the prospect of chaos and then says, but also we agree with uh, Mr. Ramos's attorney. We think that even if you were to rule against us, it would only apply uh, to non-final convictions. We're just worried about opening the door uh, to chaos. Um, I I do think it is important to know that, you know, although the universe of people who were convicted at jury trials and by non-unanimous uh, verdicts is much smaller than the total universe of people uh, who are serving time yeah. in state prisons. It's often for some of the most heinous crimes yeah. because those are the people with their back really up against the wall, right. uh, who you know who have gambled everything on on a jury trial, uh, and it's very often often murder, rape. Right, and exactly, where the state's not really willing to deal much either. I mean, exactly. You have, we sort of we did highlight that there are about five thousand people serving life without parole in Louisiana, which is the highest per capita rate by far in the country. And we assume that almost all of those people went to trial because very few people take a deal that calls for life without parole. Once in a while, somebody who's facing a potential death sentence will do that, but that's pretty rare. Yes. One other thing I just wanted to to talk about, Matt, another interesting sort of outgrowth of this, we're still actually trying to report on this today, but um, is will this affect things in the near term? Uh, you've got um, you know, the potential, now everybody's sort of on notice that this law might be overturned, and 
you know, that creates a prospect that if you're convicted, say, this week of a by a 10 to 2 verdict and the Supreme Court next year invalidates this law, that 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 would that could invalidate that verdict and, and cause a retrial. And I'm sure this is something DA's offices and public defenders are struggling with. It's almost like, would they be better off to just start having requiring unanimity now on the premise that it's likely going to be reversed and they, and they don't want to have to retry all these cases. Yeah. I mean, I think hypothetically prosecutors could concede unanimity and say, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to you know, stipulate, agree with the defense here that, that the jury's verdict has to be unanimous. And the reason they might do that, even though it makes their job on the front end a little bit tougher is that then they don't have to worry a year or two down the line about that defendant coming back and saying, we got to do the whole trial over again because only 11 of 12 people uh, voted to convict me. And, you know, I think one thing that, that stood out in, uh, in your reporting, Gordon, on uh, these jury verdicts is that in some cases, it seemed like the jury might have actually been able to come to a unanimous verdict if they had just stuck around the, right. the jury room a little longer. It, it was just... They decided almost on the first poll, the first vote, we've got the 10, great, we don't need to discuss this case at all, we right. have a verdict. Right, and, and we, you're right, and it's an overlooked aspect of this. I mean, there's a theory, some of the fear-mongering around this has been that we're going to have tons and tons of hung juries, but they don't really have that problem in other states, and what I think ends up happening is eventually... Typically, jurors kind of come around. Um, now, not certainly they don't always, and that's why this is an important principle, I think. But um, there's, uh, it's likely that a lot of these cases would be resolved. Or another strong possibility, perhaps the strongest, I think, is that you'll end up with the jury settling on more of a compromise verdict. Like we saw a lot, a lot of uh, ten to uh, second degree murder verdicts where manslaughter might be a responsive verdict and you might have had a 12 to 0 vote for manslaughter which calls for a lesser penalty but still a pretty strong penalty yeah um or potentially strong yeah penalty. and it's interesting if, if that does happen then we might get a similar result to what happens when people plead out and take plea deals because yeah. you know that that's very often in murder cases what they plead to a, yep. a manslaughter plea deal so right um, well, I think that's about all the time we have today, but um, Matt, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, great reporting on this, and I enjoyed the discussion. Thanks, Gordon. All right. The Neutral Ground is brought to you by Gardner Realtors. We welcome your feedback and your ideas for future shows. Email me at grussell, with two S's and two L's, at theadvocate.com, or call me at 504-636-7437. See you next week.